Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Performance at the University of Kansas, Andrea Hudy. This episode of the Pace of Performance podcast is sponsored by simplyfaster.com and that's spelled S-I-M-P-L-I faster.com. So alongside the free lap timing systems, simplyfaster.com currently holds the eccentric K-Box. So if you haven't heard of the K-Box, it's a new product that uses flywheel technology to allow higher velocity eccentric overload. So I saw the K-Box for the first time when Mike Young from the US brought a couple over for one of his workshops in Gloucester. So off the back of that, I was really keen to use one and I actually got my hands on one and was able to spend a couple of hours playing around with lots of different exercises and getting used to the K-Box. So from personal experience, getting out of the bottom of the squat, powering up and having the K-Box pull you through the floor on the way down is absolutely incredible. So basically, the harder you go on the concentric portion of the lift, the more it's going to give you on the eccentric. So if you're going to go for it, you're going to get pulled through the floor. At simplyfaster.com, there's also a great blog from Frederick, who is one of the co-owners of Eccentric, so you can learn more about the K-Box there. So if you are interested in getting a K-Box, get to simplyfaster.com, so that's S-I-M-P-L-I, faster.com, and get a K-Box for yourself. So this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is also sponsored by Valde Performance, creators of the Nordboard. So if you haven't heard of the Nordboard already, don't worry, I'll explain, it's really, really simple. The Nordboard is a really fast and accurate system for monitoring hamstring strength. So as practitioners, we can do very little about athlete age and previous hamstring injury, but what we can do something about is our athlete's eccentric strength, and that's where the Nordboard fits in really nicely. It isn't going to get your athlete's hamstrings bulletproof, but what it is going to do is give you the right information so you can make the right decisions at the right time. So the Nordboard isn't available until December 2015, but if you do want any more information, you can go over to valdperformance, that's V-A-L-D performance.com, or email info at valdperformance.com. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 56 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today, a really interesting chat with Andrea Hudy from the University of Kansas. So as I mentioned in the episode, I read her book in January, February time, and I wanted to get her on just to discuss the book really, um, and the ins and outs of of what she delivers in there. So the, the kind of meat of the conversation is around her movement qualities, so load, explode and drive. So we discuss um, all, all her thoughts around them, their movement qualities, including deceleration training, uh, importance of muscle stiffness, and uh, transfer of training. So it's a really great episode with Andrea. Uh, I know you'll really enjoy it. So again, keep the intro nice and short. We've got part three of the three-part series with Marco Altini discussing HRV. So I'll pass over to Marco and I'll speak to you soon. Hi Rob, thanks for having me again on your podcast for another quick exploration on uh, artery variability or HRV. In the last episode we've seen that by using a few best practices related to consistent body position, 
breathing rate, um, time of the day. HRV can be acquired with reliability, even at home, using apps like HRV for training. The HRV data, in particular day-to-day -day changes following intense workouts, can then be used to guide your trainings and help you understand if you're fully recovered or should take it easy for another day. So in this podcast, we will talk a bit about more advanced and experimental work. While it is definitely very interesting to look at HRV on a day-to-day -day variability basis and understand the impact of intense training sessions, much research is now trying to use this data to understand more about our overall condition over longer periods of time, weeks to months, for example, in the context of a training program. Questions we can try to answer are, are we adapting to a new training plan? Is our physiological condition optimal while approaching a race or should we change something? Are we at risk of um, overtraining, non-functional overreaching or accumulating fatigue? So from recent research, it's clear that HRV alone, as traditionally analyzed, cannot answer all these questions. When we look at HRV over longer periods of time, the common rule, which is higher HRV equals better condition, does not necessarily hold anymore. However, by combining a series of physiological parameters and methods, we can definitely learn more about physical condition. So by looking together at, for example, changes in baseline HRV, meaning our weekly averages over time, as well as looking at the variability within our scores. For example, if our readings are jumping around a lot during a week, or if they are pretty much the same score every day, together with information about heart rate, and of course on our current program, meaning training load, intensity, and so, there are some consistent patterns that we can identify in all of these signals to try to understand how is our overall condition over our longer-term trend, let's say. For example, research showed that low variability between readings together with a stable or increasing HRV baseline can be more representative of good adaptations to training while the same reduction in variability between readings when we associate it with higher heart rate and lower HRV, it can be more representative of fatigue. So in this context, looking at multiple parameters can help better understand what is going on and is typically the only way to try to understand what is going on. And tools like HRV for training are now constantly evolving to bring these more advanced analysis directly in the app and do the math for you so that you can use the information to further optimize your trainings. This is all for uh, the last episode of this series on HRV and thanks again Rob for having me on your show. So massive thanks to Marco for the, the three-part series on HRV which has spanned over the last three episodes. So you can check out all Marco's work at HRV for training, so that's four as in the number four, Com. So he's getting a lot of traction on social media at the minute with the, the blog that he's putting out, which is which is great. So I'd encourage you to check out his work on hrvfortraining.com. So massive thanks to Train With Push for sponsoring the technology segment today. So as I've said in the past, I'm still using the, the push band, which is a great tool for coaches to use, whether it's just using for themselves or with their team. 
So I know, like I said last time, there's some developments in the pipeline for for the app and the things behind the scenes at Push. And I think the thing that radiates with me with regards to train with Push is the guys behind the scenes. So really top guys, really helpful, really happy to, to receive feedback. So one thing I would recommend you check out is another podcast. So HMMR Media with Martin Bingisser. So I'd encourage you to check that out because he interviews Dr. Brian Mann and he discusses velocity-based training as he did in the in the Pace Performance Podcast. But it's just an updated version really. So I'd uh, encourage you to check that out and I'll put a link on the, on the site at paceperformance.co.uk to be able to check that podcast out. So make sure you do. So if you are interested in getting a push band, get over to trainwithpush.com if you're in the US. If you're in the UK, get to strength and conditioning education forward slash push and you can get a push band for yourself. So I'm planning to bring the technology segment out over the next couple of episodes. So if there's anything in particular that you want to hear about um, in a little kind of condensed, condensed segment, just let me know. If you want to check out all previous episodes of the podcast, go to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at paceyperform and you'll hear about when live episodes go out. So thanks for tuning in to episode 56. I know you'll love the episode with Andrea, really practical and lots of things to take away and I will speak to you soon. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we've got Andrea Hudy, who is the Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Performance at the University of Kansas. So I hope I've got the, uh, the, uh, the, the name of the title right. So just want to thank Andrea for uh, giving up her time on a, on a Friday morning and just get her to give us a little introduction on her background, education, and what, she, what she's currently doing. So welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So uh, your, your background, how did you get to where you were? Where you were at uh, today, You know, I guess to start, I grew up, I was the youngest of five kids in an Irish Catholic uh, household, and it was competitive, and uh, I was always trying to play catch-up. My brothers and sisters all played sports, so um, I, it got to be pretty competitive. Um, I think the, the key point is I was always trying to play catch-up, so I was always trying to be better than them. And uh, my father built a little weight room under our back patio in Pennsylvania, and uh, it turned into. Uh, have you guys ever? Do you guys watch Fear Factor? That show? Have you ever seen? Yeah, Fear Factor? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we were the beginnings of Fear Factor because <laughs> if you lost, there were consequences to everything. Um, yeah, I always tell the story about I had to eat an onion like an apple. Um, if you lost a race, you had to take off your shoes and socks and run up the and down the gravel driveway. Um, so it, it got pretty competitive and, uh, my brothers and sisters, when they played, uh, college sports, they'd come home and train and then I would train with them. Um, so athletics or sport was always a part of growing up and, uh, my, my parents were teachers and, um, you know, there were always teachable moments. So I, I find those teachable moments all the time now, just as my parents did. And, um, uh, you know, I feel like I'm a teacher now more than a coach. Coaches get wins and losses. I don't. So um, I feel like this is our classroom in terms of what we do. But 
Uh, I went and played uh, at the University of Maryland. I played volleyball where I studied kinesiology. And then um, my strength coach was uh, really big into plyometrics. So the stretch shortening cycle really interested me. I worked with force plates um, at the University of Maryland, then went to grad school at the University of Connecticut where I studied sport biomechanics and there were force plates being used there and we did a lot of different things. I took physical therapy classes, um, but we had a culture at the University of Connecticut where winning was pretty important and competitiveness was really important. The building that I walked into, just you could smell competition walking through the door. So, um, you know, there was always, always a competition going on. Walking down the hallway, you, you know, uh, you know, play play game with a kid, and uh, it was competitive. Um, so it was around every doorway. Um, there, Dr. William Kramer uh, was right down the hall. So he was, uh, you know, a huge research scientist there. He's now at Ohio State. I think he's pretty world-renowned. Um, so it was pretty cool to have a world-renowned, you know, resistance training researcher right down the hall. So anytime I had a question or concern or uh, needed, needed some guidance somewhere. He was always available. Um, and we just always studied. We were always learning and always trying new things. Um, so uh, I got my master's there. And, you know, now I'm at the University of Kansas where uh, Dr. Andy Fry was one of uh, Dr. Kramer's students at Penn State. And he's here now, so we actually have research coming out of our weight room now. So that's cool. So it's always learning, and it's always trying to get better. Cool. So we spoke a little bit off air about the, the kind of culture that's um, that's been built down at your place where you are now. So how would you go about, how did you go about building that culture? We obviously spoke about that it's over a number of years, and, and it's kind of turned into, like you say, more of a teacher rather than a coach. How's that? How did you develop that? Well, um, you know, when I came from Connecticut, we had a culture established. And um, when I got to Kansas, um, you know, I was naive and I thought that every weight room was the same and they all had the same expectations. Um, but when I got here, uh, you know, at UConn, we had you were the primary strength coach and you coached and taught your kids. And when I came to Kansas, the culture was different. Um, not to say it was bad, it was just different, um, that the kids could come in the weight room and lift on their own at whatever time. And I'm like, well, did, then how do I coach? You know, so I kind of got stuck with that because it just wasn't what I was used to. Um, so it took a while to get the team scheduled, to, under, to have the coaches, the athletes in the athletic department understand that, you know, we're coaches too, and um, there are skills being developed in the weight room, so we have to have great standards. We have to look like a team, you know, because we're always trying to sell our facility and what we're doing to the recruits, to the alumni, to the athletes, so there's buy-in. So we had to um, have certain standards, and it was tie your shoes, take off your jewelry, wear the same thing, tuck your shirt in, and um, let's go. We have some stuff to do because, you know, a lot of uh, people think that the weight rooms are like fitness clubs. You know, the music's jack. Everybody's talking about what it's a social place. Um, it's not a social place for me. I mean, it is, but it's not because, again, it's classroom. And um, there was a lot of deliberate teaching and a lot of deliberate 
um, skills to be developed. So uh, that you have to pay attention and you have to have an audience. You have to create that and you have to understand that the weight room isn't a place to goof off, you know? Do you think that's do you think that them kind of thoughts that you've just got across there are missed a lot of the time? The fact that it is a place that has to have a massive amount of intent and the, the kind of rules have to be straight on the line so people know exactly where they're standing? Um, I don't know. That's just how I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think everybody's got their own style, which I respect. Um, but I have a job to do, you know, and I want to make the best um, athlete, healthy athlete that I can. And um, strength isn't always everything. So you don't always have to lift in the weight room. <laughs> you know, we, we try to explain to the coaches that, you know, yeah, there are fatiguing workouts, but that's not what I do all the time. They actually, the majority of what I do is a lot of recovery and a lot of uh, velocity-based stimulating workouts where we're activating so that, that they're ready to practice or they're ready to play. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned it there, and it's, it's kind of going off topic a little bit, but the, the velocity-based training that you, you just you just mentioned there, how has that come into, how have you incorporated that kind of technology into your, into your programming as, as it's become more readily available? Yeah, uh, we use Elite Form for our velocity-based training. We've actually we uh, worked with Dr. Fry and compared it to our force plate uh, readings on the same lifts, and it came out to be uh, very significantly uh, correlated. So we purchased the Elite Form, and um, what's cool is, yeah, we can fatigue and we can build strength in the off-season as we should um, because I know strength is a part of power. Um, but then once the season rolls around, uh, it's tough because with basketball and our, our program here, they run a lot. So standing is a load, you know, uh, running is a load. Everything that they're sitting, if they're sitting improperly, is a load. So, you know, we're just trying to make them the healthiest we can. So the, the worst thing I could do is fatigue them more because the, 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 the season could be six, seven months long. And that's a long time. We've done some cortisol studies and looked at uh, cortisol as a stress hormone and um, where it peaks and how it peaks and where it trends and how different people uh, operate differently towards the same stress. So um, the, the best thing that we've done was find that load, that optimal load for high power output, and then we just try to push the speed throughout the season. So um, hopefully they're not getting sore, you know. Um, there's, I like to do the lowest dose possible to have the best gains. So I don't want to overdose my athletes on exercise and they become fatigued. So dosage is, is, is really important to me. And, um, it's a process, you know, so we follow the trends just like the stock market. Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? We got to figure it out. And each one's individual. So we, we operate within a range they're using in terms of their load and then again we're, we're pushing speed we want speed we look at their max um, power average power depending on if it's squat or bench uh, and then we look at max peak power or whether it's a snatch or clean um, and then we try to match that with a sub maximal load mm -hmm. cool interesting so I just want to um touch on on power positions the the book that you've obviously uh, that you brought out how did that come about in the first place um yeah how did it come about i think 
I never thought I'd write a book ever. Like, um, I wasn't the best writer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, it came about one, because I always get asked for programs, uh, you know, via email and it's hard to say, yeah, here's what we do without knowing the why, because the most important thing is why for me. Um, and again, we've built a pretty good culture where the basketball guys are, have, have become very committed to the program. So um, I think their skills that they learn in here really transfer to the court, and people see that. So uh, I feel like we've become successful with that. Um, so it, it, it came from I, I just didn't want to send out programs. I, again, I want people to know the why. So. Uh, when I went to Germany, I went to Adidas in Herzo and uh, met Phil Wagner. I'd been searching for Phil for years. I'd heard of him, or I didn't, I don't even know if I knew his name, but I knew what he did and how he looked at force plate readings. Uh, and that was uh, interesting to me because I studied it in undergrad and graduate school and how they looked at uh, possible injury risks uh, with how somebody produces force in a vertical jump and, um, you know, different, uh, different, uh, power outputs, uh, with different legs. Um, and, uh, I, I knew it was important for me to, to use because the NBA was using, um, a lot of force plate technology. Well, you know what, if I want to be the best, um, I have to implement that too. So, um, and again, it was, it was interesting to me. So we started using some of these force plates, um, and Phil's software and, uh, with collaborating with Phil, you know, generally speaking, there's three types of athletes. There's a lateral reactive, high accelerating athlete. They tend to be mesomorphic. Um, there's a linear athlete who, um, is posterior chain dominant and they use momentum to, to, uh, excel in their sport. And then there's a rotational athlete. Now, again, those are three generalizations um, and then there are derivatives from that, which get more complicated. Mm-hmm. So, so is that, is that, did that come from your work with the, with the guys in Germany or was that kind of a, um, no, that was is that, oh, okay, okay, with cool. Phil Sparta, yeah. So how, how important is it to, I know you said the generalizations, but how important is it to distinguish between them three separate athletes? Oh, I think it's hugely important because um, usually when you look at a high uh, accelerating athlete, a lateral reactive athlete, um, they're pretty stiff. We find stiffness, which is a great thing, which they it's a high performing thing, but it's also an unhealthy thing. Um, so we have to look at what type of stiffness they have. Um, so you talk about positions that are high lateral reactive, high accelerating defensive backs, running backs, uh, anybody who has a high acceleration. So, um, who else, uh, defensive players in soccer, uh, you know, anybody who has to change direction, that rate of force development has to be high. Now, not everybody needs a high rate of force development. Let's say, uh, uh, somebody who uses momentum you know, like an outside hitter in volleyball, that's timing, you know, so you don't have to be fast, (laughs) you know, you have to time it right. So, um, yeah, I I just, I I think that 
looking at those positions then, okay, well, what do you need to be good at? And then once we get you good at it, what do we need to do to keep you healthy? You know, so it changes, your program changes. So we create this lateral reactive athlete in the, in the summer. Um, and then once they get these short ballistic repetitions on the basketball court, in theory, that would increase stiffness, right? So they get tighter and tighter as the season went along, and they do. So we actually do the opposite of uh, what it takes to create. So then we, we change our program to offset the high ballistic anterior chain repetitions with posterior chain strength and mobility because a basketball player you know once they take probably five six seven steps at max they're slowing down they're not hitting top speed so so is there anything that that's constant across them them three um them three groups of athletes i would say minimal strength you know you need to have a, a base strength to participate in a high level sport Cool. So you just want to, um, I know you've mentioned the, the three categories there. Do you just want to give us a little bit of an idea how you then, so so picking one of them maybe, uh, build the program around that, them specific qualities that you've determined? Yeah, let's say a lateral reactive athlete, because that's pretty much in general what I work with. Um, usually we get, you know, there's so much early specialization in late specialization sports now, like basketball, where these kids, they come in and all they're great at basketball, but all they do is play basketball. They don't, they get good at it, but then they get really tight. So they have zero ankle mobility. They have anterior tilt in the pelvis because their quads are so tight. So, um, you know, we have to look at how stiff they are and is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And how can we make them healthy? But then we get kids, like really tall kids, who tend to not have to react in their sport when they were in high school. They time things. So then we get these kids that are really tight as guards, generally speaking. And then we get these guys that aren't reactive, but they're playing basketball. So then that leaves an opportunity for them to get injured because they're not strong enough in the areas they are. So then we got guys that are too strong or too tight. And then we got guys that don't have the proper sequencing to play hoops that leave them open for injury. So it depends on who you are. And then um, we either try to offset it or try to create it more. So we got a, we got different programs going on at the same time um, that uh, if you're really tight, we look at posterior chain and mobility. And then if you don't have the sequencing, we're trying to build anterior chain strength and posturing strength. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there about um, a couple of times about stiffness and whether it's a good stiffness or bad stiffness. How are you determining which kid fits into which category? That's where the Sparta technology comes in and the, the feedback that we get through the force plates. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um, yeah, you can sometimes you can look at it and see it, but um, the Sparta gives us great numbers, and that's where we're a science, science-based program. Mm-hmm. You know, so so what no, – go on, sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, you can see some of it with your eyes, but some sometimes you miss it. Mm-hmm. So, what key key metrics are you looking at there that the that the um, the bit of kit pumps out for you? Uh, you look at how the kid loads into the ground. So you look at um, newtons per second. So rate of force development. Then um, that's load. That first quality is load. The second quality is explode, and that's really um, can you maintain posture um, while you're uh, 
loading into the ground and exploding out of it. So a lot of it has to do with total body strength. How many, uh, is it newtons, kilograms per body weight? I can't remember, but it's really how strong you are, um, especially through the thoracic area. And can you keep an upright posture and brace through that jump? Because what you see is in a rotational athlete, they tend to lose it, you know. Um, and then drive is the posterior chain or uh, impulse time. Like how long did it take you to jump? Did you take your time and jump or did you quick? You know, so um, usually an outside hitter in volleyball might take their time and jump, which is normally what they do. That's what they're built to do. And a middle blocker might be a little quicker off the ground. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I just want to, I want to touch on them, them kind of movement qualities there that you've, um, that you've discussed. So obviously load, you mentioned the importance of deceleration. How, how important is that for you? You get your guys and how do you practically go about achieving that? Yeah, it's hard because some of those guys are high decelerators, but, um, almost too high if they're too tight. Um, and then that leaves them open or susceptible to lower leg injuries um, foot injuries, um, quad injuries. Um, so sometimes we have to suppress that to keep them healthy and make them more mobile. Um, one way we can decrease that is to do more mobility, uh, spend a little bit longer on the ground instead of short response plyometrics. Let's do longer response plyometrics and get your whole foot on the ground. Uh, we work on foot position. Um, always point your feet forward, uh, knees out, engage the glutes. Um, and then the easiest way to increase a rate of force development is a depth jump. That's the easiest, you know. So um, another way to work with that load and explode also our front squats, one leg squats, because you have to posture, you have to stay upright. So how are you, how are you integrating that with your really tall guys? Is that, ever, is that a problem? Uh, it's a huge problem because our really tall guys, uh, some of them lack or ankle mobility. So uh, we work around it. We work ankle mobility on the side or after. So we almost, we're at a two to one where we look at stretching and mobility exercises per two of them, per one strength exercise. So um, like the tall guys, to get them to make sure that their torso is upright, we'll elevate their heels. And people are like, what, you're elevated, that's too much. Yeah, but you know what, I have to build this athlete or the coach isn't gonna be happy. So I have to build the athlete and I'm gonna figure out a way to do it. Um, so that they do get the proper knee range of motion that we can build that quad, um, but also at the same time that their torso is upright and I don't make them susceptible to a back injury in the weight room. So we really elevate their heels and it helps a lot. Cool. So you mentioned the, um, the longer response plyometrics. Do you just want to give us a little insight into exactly which, which ones fit into that category and where in the season that may, that you may place them? Well, I think we can make any plyometric that we do longer response. We just want greater joint range of motion. So um, instead of going as quick as you can, let's do it as deliberate as you can. Um, let's do broad jumps. Let's do jumps up uh, our steps. You know, so we want more with those high lateral reactive guys. They're, they tend to be quad and ankle dominant or I'm sorry, ankle and knee dominant. So I want them to hinge a little bit more with their jumping to make to help them get that posterior chain. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. So just the next one, the um, obviously we've, we've got over load. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what happens in Explode, movement quality? Uh, yeah, Explode is the ability to brace. So uh, uh, people, I don't know, people might call it core strength. I'm still struggling, you know, after 21 years, how to define core strength. So I just call it bracing. Um, everything that we do in the weight room, we want to brace. So um, bench press, we brace. So there's skills on a bench press. People, you know, I, I struggle when people don't um, understand that the bench press is a skillful lift. And it's a total body lift if you do it right. Um so that explode is the ability to brace. So uh, if we need to do it quickly, we'll have guys bridge. We'll uh, very make sure farmer walk. Make sure that they are bracing and loading to keep that chest up. Cool. So how do you um, how do you program for that? I mean, you've given a couple of exercises um, there. Does does that change throughout the year, whether it's in season, off season? Um. Yeah, it does because you know even stress can increase stiffness. We've seen it. We've seen it on the force plates. So um, just a lot of, if it gets too high, a lot of thoracic mobility, um, a lot of body weight movements, uh, floor movements, um, stretching, loosening up the core, uh, you know, again, a lot of rotational movements. But uh, a lot of it, too, is um, how they deal with things mentally. Cool. So... I mean, you, t- you talked about, just touched on there, but mental side of things, how much input are you having on that side of things? Obviously, you've got student athletes, you've got people who are high stress times with exams and things. What kind of input do you have on their kind of welfare when it comes to the academia? Um, I don't have much, but uh, I'd be willing to help anybody with anything at any time. So um, if somebody needs my help, I'll help them. But I tend to be, uh, it's stressful. There's a lot of pressure on these guys to win. Um, so if a kid's not feeling it, you know, um, I might give them off and tell them to come back. Uh, some guys might need a massage, you know. So uh, it, it, it's stressful. And it's, we're, we're together all year round, and you get to know people. And hopefully there's a relationship of trust, and we talk through it. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you implement any, any specific systems that, that monitor the stress that the guys are going through? Well, um, we look at uh, – we did the cortisol study. So okay, we yeah. actually looked at uh, cortisol. Um, but fatigue can show up on either the Elite Form or um, the Sparta um, software. So we can look at some things. Um, we have an app that we try to track their sleep, nutrition, hydration. But – you know, um, I don't know if they're great with tracking that. Is that just like a, like a subjective questionnaire? Yeah. Yeah, it's easy. You know, it's a all they do is type in how many hours they sleep, how many grams of protein they had, how many ounces of water, uh, and how many servings of vegetables. So, um, yeah, they're not great at tracking their own stuff. <laughs> so we're constantly trying to educate and teach them about nutrition and sleep. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you try to get that education across? Is it just a conversation, or is it specific kind of presentations, documents? Yeah, both. Both. I would say they're presentations, but they're informal. Um, we actually have been. Um, I know leadership's been tossed around now uh, recently, so um, we actually have a guy who's on staff here 
who every once in a while will come in and do a leadership talk and um, for five or ten minutes. And it's not them sitting down in a room for an hour and talking about leadership and then say, go do it. You know, we want to practice it. We want to practice it deliberately and daily. Cool. So I'm just picturing what we discussed um off air right at the start in your weight room that I've obviously seen on the internet. Do you just want to t- talk to us about how, I don't know if you were kind of in the, in the process of actually in setting that up, but how the guys kind of flow through the gym, what, what they do when they get in and how, how it kind of works. Obviously it's a huge weight room. So you're getting plenty of guys through there. Yeah. Um, we have the weight room set up in, um, there's probably four different sections on this first floor so that, um, we can either have one big team and one smaller team. Um, we can have, we have an agility area, we have TRX area, we have a mobility area. So there's a lot of different places. It is huge. So there's a lot of different places where we can section off teams or certain groups of people. So uh, when the guys walk in, the first thing they see is their assessment, and that's the force plate. So we can, you know, try to monitor fatigue or um, strength levels and mobility levels throughout the year and base our program. We're trying to marry the two right now. So what's cool is that if we're in season and the guys come in, jump on the force plate, they walk over to the elite form and their program's already up based on their neuromuscular uh, profile for the day because – that's where I look at exercise and exercise prescriptions because um, force production or power production is pretty sensitive. You know, you could talk yourself into something, you could talk it out, you could eat yourself into something, you could eat it out, you could sleep it out. So every day is different. Um, so the exercise prescription would be based on how they are feeling or what they're producing that day. Um, so they walk over and if it is a mobility day and, um, they'll go back, we have gymnastics mat set up. We have a mobility wall where there's a bunch of ropes so that you get in any different position. Um, or they go, they sign into the elite form. Um, they grab their weightlifting shoes or their agility shoes, depending on what the outcome or the, the workout is for the day. And, um, they work out. Um, we have post-nutrition. Um, here and then they tend to leave so and then we'll go to practice cool so the, the fast plate they, they jump on when you uh, when they first get in is that just a, just a counter movement jump mm-hmm. it's um six counter movement jumps uh with the use of arms um phil has statistically proven that you take the best three and um he takes the average of the best three and then you get what he calls a movement signature mm-hmm Okay, and, and that then gets programmed into elite form and then it, it kind of collaborates the, the two? Well, right now manually? We are, we're doing the program okay. in elite form, but uh, they are working together so that um, it's the McDonaldization of sport performance. And okay. it'll be- <laughs> cool. So I just want to go back to the, um, the final quality that you discussed in the, in the drive. Um, can you explain the, the, that quality and how it might be developed? Yeah, you know, um, I think of uh, the muscle tendon uh, unit as a spring because you stretch it, it wants, or a rubber band, you stretch it, it wants to snap back. So when I look at uh, uh, like a lateral reactive athlete, I think of a suspension spring, right? So you drop it and it's bouncing everywhere because it's pretty reactive. Uh, on the other hand, the total opposite, I think of a slinky. So you drop it and it just folds over. So that's the quality I think of when I think of um, 
like mobility. Um, Andrew Wiggins was a number one draft pick uh, in the NBA last year, two years ago. He was also rookie of the year. Um, beautiful athlete. Mom was a linear sprinter for Canada. And I, she was uh, 100, 200, maybe 400. I can't remember. Uh, definitely a 200 runner, but long, lean. And then his dad was an NBA player, so he was a lateral reactive athlete. So it was the perfect, you know, mesh of high-level athletics or athletes who um, he's very mobile, like almost like Gumby, you know, very mobile. But, you know, like that, he could go stiff as a spring and be a spring. So he's like the thing that I always want to match or mimic or get guys to be but it's hard, you know? So, um, just that, that posterior chain strength, that hingy movement, um, our guys don't use. So we tend to try to use that like an outside hitter or, uh, you know, outside receiver in American football, a safety in American football. Sometimes when they're on the outside of the field where you can hit top speed, um, 400 meter runner, any, anybody who, you know, uses that momentum and slows down less than somebody else. So you said you guys don't use that? Don't use what? I think you said about the, um, when you said about hinging and things like that, you said, then you said our guys don't do that. Well, our, uh, I'm sorry. Our guys who are great lateral reactors tend not to hip hinge. Okay. Oh, sorry. okay, sorry. So they actually lack, or what appears to lack is posterior chain strength. They just don't use it. So um, we do a lot of hip lifts, hip bridging, um, in-season RDL, deadlifts, uh, so that we do bring up that posterior chain quality in-season. So with all that said, how do you, how do you go about measuring your, um, the success of, the, of your program? And how often do you, uh, are you, you measuring that obviously weekly, how the guys are improving, not improving? Uh, we, like this morning, uh, this was our third lift this week. We had um, two mobility sessions. And then, but two mobility sessions for the guys who needed mobility. The other guys actually did more lifting. So um, some guys lifted five times this week. Some guys lifted three and did two mobility sessions. So what was your question? Sorry, how, how do you measure the success of your program? Um, well, we measure it all the time. So we're looking at the numbers on Elite Form. We're looking at how they're sequencing and their performance on the force plate. Um, you know, uh, are we making a more efficient athlete? Are we suppressing their scan and having higher output? is what I'm looking at. Are, are, is the sequencing right? Um, are they, are they lifting the same weight faster than they did last year, you know, and more technically sound? Um, so every day we measure if we're getting better or not. And we, there's spreadsheets floating around here right now that, um, we had a spreadsheet this morning. So this morning they had back squat, they had five sets, and again, the, we have practice this afternoon, so the, the volume isn't there. The neuromuscular adaptation is. So we did five sets of 2-2, two, 1-1-1, two, one, one, one. and all I had them do was try to hit their average uh, power output in a squat at um, a prescribed weight, and we just try to push the velocity. And I had 
um, two guys today scored two of their best all-time scores on a squat. One guy squatted, um, what did he use? He used Jamari, 235 at 1.07 meters per second, which was um, 1,122 watts, which is really good. Um, we've done some research with Dr. Fry, and we, we've correlated, like, you need to hit a certain number of wattage if you want to go to the NBA. If you're a good ball player and you don't hit that wattage, you're going to play uh, developmental league or play in Europe. Um, if you can hit this number of wattage, your chances to get in the NBA. You know, and those are tools that we use to motivate the guys. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so um, another guy then saw that he hit uh, 1,122, and then he hit 1,074 with 285. So uh, now I know that this one kid, he moved that at 1.07, and according to Brian Mann, we want, you know, between, we want around 0.85, so I need to increase this kid's load. Mm -hmm. Cool. So so that's how you're measuring your, your kind of um... – your success of your program kind of gym-wise, how are you measuring that then, how it transfers onto the court? Um, we look at the scan that we get, and now we're running correlations with the scan and minutes played at Kansas. Explain, so, the, explain the scan. The, the uh, movement signature from Sparta. Okay, yeah, all right. So we're looking, okay, we create this scan. Right. So we have this, and we'll call it a Kansas basketball scan because I bet the scan could be different if you played zone on defense because you're not reacting that much. Um, so uh, we look at that lateral reactive scan and then we um, correlate it to minutes played. And we're looking at other performance variables too. And we want to look at the scan and uh, power output on a hang power clean or a uh, power output in a squat. Cool. So I'm just, uh, I'm conscious of time. I don't want to keep you all, uh, all morning, but you mentioned, um, a CP, uh, CPD event that you're going to, and I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on, um, uh, well, get your kind of calendar for the next, pardon? What event did you say? Um, you said you were, you were going down to, uh, Austin. Oh, oh, oh the functional range. Condition. Yeah. Yeah. And have you got anything else in your calendar kind of CPD wise? Um, um, you know, the season's starting, so not right now. I always attend the NSCA events when I can. So um, I'll probably be pretty locked up um, until April. And then um, I'm always trying to learn. So I, anywhere I go, I try to communicate with any kind of performance staff um, and see what they're doing. Or, you know, some of the best ideas are stolen, so I always steal ideas. Cool. <laughs> And I'm guessing plenty of people come down to Kansas to see what you guys are doing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So where can people find you on, uh, on social media and keep up to date with what you've got going on? Um, a underscore H U D Y I believe is the Twitter and also Instagram and then Andrea Hootie on uh, Facebook. Well, I'll put, I'll put on the site so people can, uh, people can get in touch. All right. I appreciate it. Cool. So I will, uh, I'll let you go, but just thanks for your time. And, uh, right. I hope you have a good day. Thank you. You too. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 56, of the Pacey performance podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Andrea. Just want to say a massive thanks to Vald performance 
trainwithpush and simplyfaster.com. I'd also really encourage you, as I said at the start, to check out Marco Altini's work on hrvfortraining.com and you can also catch him on Twitter at Marco underscore ALT. So he's got some great work coming out, um, keeps his blog up to date with plenty of great content, um, so I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. Got some great guests coming over the next couple of weeks, but don't forget there's 55 other episodes that you can check out at paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash podcast. So any feedback is more than welcome, good, bad or indifferent, and I will speak to you in episode 57.